All right. Good evening, everyone. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to our time together. A uh, man that I've really come to respect and appreciate for the ways that God's at work in his life and the ways God is using him in the in the state. Joel's going to be here to uh, to preach for us, and then also after he finishes, uh, we're going to have a time for questions and answers. And so, if you want to ask him. You know, policy-related questions, he'll handle those. Uh, but particularly asking him questions about ministry and even how that impacts our lives, he's going to have some ways that um, we can take what's happening at the Capitol. I think it's extremely applicable to our own lives, how we operate as a church, how we operate uh, in our neighborhoods, where God's placed you in your uh, in your business, your place of employment. So. It'll be a great opportunity. I've, I've been excited about this for a while. Um, before we get started, we want to have a time to pray together, pray for one another. So is there anything going on that we can be praying about? Everything we've mentioned in the last few weeks, opportunities, catching up on any situations? Yes. For the Houston's, particularly for Barrett. Yeah. Yeah, Barrett, uh, he's... Remains in a lot of a lot of pain, but long story short, after talking to Becky on the phone, he's no longer able to be on the transplant list, and so he'll just continue to remain on dialysis uh, because of some things with his stomach, and so he's not able to have have the transplant. Becky, though, on the phone, seemed, I mean, her faith in the Lord is incredibly strong anyway, uh, but she seemed to good spirits and thought there were even some positives for Barrett that would come would come out of this situation so it's it's really hard for them obviously those of you who have followed the situation with James and Heather Mills uh, the young couple the the guy who was diagnosed with brain cancer it was a hard a hard report that they got this last week I mean it's it's going to be a tough road ahead, but they're praying that they can be a part of a few clinical trials. Uh, and we're just trying to figure out how we can best care for them. So those of you that know James and Heather, just continue to encourage Heather and and love on them during this time. Like I know you're, like I know you're doing. Panama team, they're going to share with us next Wednesday night. Uh, so we'll hear more about uh, the Panama trip. Let them recover <laughs> a little bit more before they uh, before they share. But they're going to be sharing with us next Wednesday night, so we're looking looking forward to that. Um, those of you that signed up for the marriage night this Sunday night, five o'clock, we're going to have our uh, annual Emmaus marriage night. So it'll be a great opportunity if you've signed up for that. We need to start right at five, so make sure make sure you're here, ready to go, and it'll be a good be a good opportunity. All right, let me pray for us, and we're going to hand it off to uh, hand it off to Joel. Father, thank you for your kindness toward us, your compassion and and patience and love. Father, your mercies that are new every morning. God, thank you for the gift of a local church. Thank you for the partnerships and the gospel that we have. Father, we pray for the Houstons. God, you have been with them through so many situations. Uh, 
God, thank you for the example of their faith. We pray for Barrett as, I know he's frustrated by not being able to uh, be looking forward toward a transplant, but at the same time, that he would continue to trust you each day. And God, that you would be at work in his life and through his family. God, we pray for James and Heather, uh, for their little girls. Situation that they're looking uh, at with, with his cancer. God, let them know that they're not alone. Father, I pray that as a church we'll know how to care for them. God, how to meet them right where they are. That their faith in you uh, would remain strong. That they would be able to share that faith. And share that hope with those around them as they go through this time. God, I pray for Emmaus as you continue to lead us into opportunities for missions and evangelism. God, thank you for the conversations this afternoon that we were able to have in our, in our neighborhood. Uh, the, the opportunities for ministry there. God, thank you for the team that went to Panama and for all the other teams that are preparing to go this year. God, tonight specifically, help us to think about what it looks like to live out our faith in our neighborhoods, at our place of work. Here in the state, the things that you're doing, God. God, use tonight in a special way to open our eyes to that. God, thank you for Joel, for his family. God, thank you for your guidance in their lives. And God, I know they continue to trust you each day about how you're at work. So, Father, I pray that you would use him tonight. And, God, that he would be encouraged as well by the gospel as he shares it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Joel, it's all yours. Whenever you finish, we'll do question and answer, okay? 7.30 is the only number oh, that matters. Oh, you weren't supposed to give me a time. <laughs> so I want to quickly just commend um, Emmaus and your pastor. You know, Capital Commission is very much a ministry of partnering and partnering together. And uh, Owen was one of the first guys that I got to meet and know uh, as I've developed relationships with churches in Oklahoma City and across the state. And, and he stepped right in when I, when I had a need and said, hey, we have an opportunity and a need, and I need a church, and I need a pastor to come in and help minister to some of the members of our house uh, representatives. And he jumped right in and, and, and hit it, did such an incredible job, and I'm so grateful for him and to you. Uh, our ministry is a ministry of partnering. We're partnering together uh, with believers in the context of the state capitol, to make a difference uh, in the lives of policymakers, uh, to make a difference in the lives of elected leaders who are representing diverse constituencies across our state, trying to work together to chart a path forward for our state. And it's a ministry of partnering together with the people of prayer and the people of God across our state, and really to help uh, the, the people of God to, to rediscover and, and capture just what God gave us and the power of prayer, and what is really available to us, pray with boldness, with uh, thanksgiving, making intercessions uh, for all people, but specifically for those who are leaders, and leading in our schools, leading in our churches, leading in our communities, leading in our businesses, leading in state government. And so I want to spend some time and talk with you a little bit about what I do and what it looks like. Um, I, I wish he hadn't given me a, a time there because now I, I, I need to keep track of it. Um, I don't, does anybody know Doug Melton, Pastor Melton at Southern Hills? He's a good friend of mine. And, um, and one time he was up teaching a Bible study 
with us, and I was in the room, and he said, he said, Joel, I'm not going to be able to keep track of time. Will you watch the time? I said, sure. And I got a text like two minutes later from one of the representatives saying that is not fair for a preacher to ask another preacher to keep time. So I will endeavor to, uh, to stay on time. Our ministry is nationwide. Uh, Capital Commission is currently in 25 states. Uh, I'm a Texas boy. I grew up in Waco. Um, went to Baylor, I went to North Texas first, then to Baylor, uh, moved to Washington, D.C. in 2007, 2008, and, and began a career of, of uh, working kind of in that, that area where the church and the nonprofit sector kind of overlap uh, to impact policy. And so that's kind of what I was doing and trying to, trying to pursue a career in, and that took me to Washington, D.C., I met my wife there, and we had two little girls there, and we bought two houses there. Thankfully, we only overlapped owning two houses for a very short amount of time. And, uh, and along the way, uh, I was serving bivocationally as the young adult pastor at First Baptist Alexandria, and then missions pastors. I did the worst thing you can do. I led a mission trip, and my heart was wrecked. And God called me back into a full-time pastoral ministry. And so I spent about eight years on staff at First Alexandria, did young adult ministry, uh, ultimately did discipleship and missions. Uh, but we as a church were right in the heart of the D.C. kind of politico culture. And we had, we had folks across the spectrum politically in our church happily worshiping together and serving in ministry together. We kind of figured out how to thread that needle uh, to, to bring people that are very different in their views on things uh, to come around the central mission of the gospel, and that is to lift high the name of Jesus and to extend his glory into the world and to, and to make disciples of all nations. And we came together. It was a beautiful place to cut my teeth in pastoral ministry and learn that. My wife is one of the most gifted and skilled people uh, political communications professionals there there are she was I, I don't know this for sure but I'm pretty sure she was the youngest female communications director in the history of the United States Senate and she became a comms director at 26 years old and worked in the federal delegation for Oklahoma for uh, Senator Enhoff and that's kind of where all our Oklahoma connections came and then we moved here totally unexpectedly in 2017 and uh, I was recruited by this ministry to launch uh, a presence in the Oklahoma State Capitol. And so I came into this ministry with that background of having served in our nation's capital, uh, being a, a pastor working in that political arena and that legislative culture. And, uh, and so I was familiar with it. I was married to it. Uh, so I, I, we prayed and we said, okay, this, this is something we, we think we the Lord may be preparing us to do, and the way in which God just blew the doors off of the opportunity to plant a pastoral ministry presence in our state capital. I, I really don't have time to explain it all to you. God's favor has been incredible, and the opportunity to ministry there has been incredible. But our ministry is based off 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I've got a little handout here, and it just really gives you kind of the high-level view of who we are and what we do. And I'm not going to go off of this. I'm, I want to share a little bit from, from the Sermon on the Mount this evening. 
But our ministry is based on 1 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul's writing to Timothy. And I just want to stop right there. I'm not going to be that kind of preacher. But I want to stop right there and, and simply say... The ministry in the capital takes on so many different expressions, and, it, and there's different things we do from Bible studies to, to prayer gatherings to organizing seminars and prayer breakfasts to, to meeting legislators in their districts. It takes on so many different expressions, but at the heart of, of what I do is disciple-making, and I love the Paul-Timothy relationship. It is this, this relationship of one Christ follower who's growing into conformity to the image of Christ and helping another do the same. And that's what Paul was to Timothy, and they modeled it so well. And Paul's writing to Timothy, and Timothy's a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And he's writing to this young pastor who has got his hands full and has a lot going on and is in this really interesting place called Ephesus, and he's trying to encourage him to be a pastor, to lead a community of believers, to manifest the body of Christ in Ephesus. And Ephesus was important. Ephesus was strategic. Ephesus was uh, an epicenter for cultural, um, um, the cultural life of, of the region, philosophy, uh, was, was housed there. The, uh, thoughts on theology were being promoted there. It was also right on the center of an economic trade route. So it was, it was strategic in how it could impact commerce, connecting the, the rich resources of the East to the empire in the West. And it was strategic politically. Ephesus was the seat of power for really the, the whole of the Asia Minor region, what we would call modern-day Turkey. Ephesus was a strategic place, and Tom Constable, who's a Dallas Theological Seminary professor, says wherever Paul planted a church, he did so with the eye of a strategist. He didn't do it haphazardly. He picked places of significant influence, and he planted a gospel presence there because he believed that when, when there was a gospel presence through, through the body of Christ, through a church, in a place, then the gospel would begin to transform that place. And the gospel would begin to transform all of these, these uh, areas of influence, policy, government, economics, philosophy. And so that's why Paul planted that church there. And that's why he sent his, his protege, Timothy, to pastor that church. Because if the church could grow there, they could be strategic in impacting the kingdom. And Capital Commission simply says we should be just as strategic today, where we plant gospel presences in, in cities uh, like Oklahoma City and more like here where Emmaus is planted, in workplaces, in industry, in government. We should plant a gospel presence because the gospel has the power to transform. And so he writes to Timothy, and he says, First of all, then, I urge that prayers and petitions, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and those who are in authority. He starts with saying everybody, and then he specifically calls out leaders. And what's the intended result of the prayer? So that we may lead, tranquil and, and we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. 
So, so Paul is encouraging Timothy, lead the church in Ephesus to pray. To pray boldly. To pray for all men, but even that man. That, that person who sits in that office, that woman who chairs that committee, that, that person who has uh, influence in, in that uh, industry. You pray for that person. You can do it. It's the greatest resource available to the people of God, the most potent power of God available at any point in time, anywhere on earth. You can pray for a person and God hears our prayers. And so he says, I want you to pray for people of power. I want you to lead the church to pray for people who are in governmental leadership. Why? You know, if you go back and read the context of chapter 1 that is leading into this this, uh, uh, beginning of chapter 2, this admonition, exhortation to to lead the people to pray, basically what Paul has done in chapter 1 is he said, look, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And he says, and I was chief among them. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. No one is beyond the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he came. And then as his disciples, Timothy, he he calls us to join him in this great task, this great mission. He, He says, wage the good warfare. You know, this is... This is not something we just sit passively and wait, wait for something to happen. And just pray and hope that God's going to do something. No, we're to lean in. We are to be salt and light, to wage the warfare as good soldiers. He enlists us to join Jesus in this great mission of proclaiming the gospel. That's what he's done in chapter 1. And then he says these four verses. And really what they serve to do is to tell us where to begin, to pray for those who are in authority. You know, the, in a representative democracy that we are incredibly blessed to live in, we are diverse people, diverse communities with different backgrounds, different needs, different challenges, and different resources, and, and different things to bring to the table. And in the midst of this great diversity of people and communities, we live under a system where we, the people, get to elect a representative to step out from our community and to step into a a legislative chamber, a capitol building, an office, and to work together to, to represent the different communities across our state and then to reason together to chart a a path forward. That's hard work. That's not something that uh, happens overnight. That's not something that is apparently clear what's it going to be. You know, uh, I've lived in D.C. through, I was visiting with some folks over here. I I lived in D.C. through three government shutdowns and sequestration. Uh, I I can't tell you how many times the government was going to shut down and then it Literally the 11th hour at 11 p.m. on Sunday night before Christmas, they came up with a with a plan. You know, it's just it, you know, the policy that will ultimately be implemented is rarely known. I mean, even the people who are who are navigating the policy, they don't know what the final outcome will be. That's their job is to 
is to work together to, to bring those different needs and resources and those different uh, you know, requirements of their constituencies together to chart that path. We don't know what the ultimate policy will be, but listen, the people who will be doing that work, we know them by name. And what we want to do, what I get to do, and what I invite you to do, is to be part of this great movement of our God that calls forth sons and daughters of God to pray for people, to pray for the gospel, to transform the hearts and minds of those people who are in those places of leadership. I pray for the gospel to transform the heart of our leaders. And as the gospel transformed their heart, it would, it would transform their minds. I pray James 3, wisdom all the time. First of all, peaceable and pure, open, uh, easily entreated. I love that one. Or open to reason. Uh, to be open to reason or easily entreated means to listen to another point of view with a willingness to be convinced. How often do you hear that in our culture today? And that's heavenly wisdom. I pray for that kind of wisdom to be transforming the hearts and minds to affect the way they speak to one another and then trust God to work in that process to the ultimate outcome. That's, that's what we get to do. And that's what I get to be part of. That's, that's, that's the ministry in which God's placed me. It's not the ministry that I thought I was going to be in three years ago, but it's a ministry that has been an incredible blessing to be part of. Uh, so that's where we are. That's what we're based on. That's, that's, how, that's what motivates what I do. Um, over the years, I've gotten to lead members-only Bible studies. I've got to organize prayer lunches and prayer breakfasts. This year, a really cool thing is happening in the ministry. Um, I, I was, I'm going to share a little bit of this in a second, but I was appointed by the Speaker of the House to serve concurrently as the chaplain of the House. So I get this really neat opportunity. Every Thursday morning, starting tomorrow, I get to give a 10- to 12-minute uh, sermon from the floor uh, to a captive audience of representatives. And I said, really? That's what I get to do? Yes, that's what I get to do. So I get to deliver a weekly message to the House of Representatives. And so I said, well, rather than me doing another Bible study, I reached out and we've identified three so far, and I have three more that I think are going to come online. So I'm praying for six and for more. But I have three members who are hosting small groups in their offices. And each one of these groups already has six to eight members committed. And as I teach on Thursday mornings, I will then send out a little discussion guide devotion. And these members are hosting small groups in their offices with other members. And they're having time to continue to, to, to dwell on the scripture that they've already heard me speak on and pray together. And that's how the ministry is really growing this year. Already exponentially, more people are getting involved. And so that's, that's some of what I get to do. And as I've thought about, what do I want to share? What, what is the most, what would God want, have me express to you about my perspective on the work of ministering in our state capital? Uh, 
what he impressed upon me is Matthew 5, verse 9. And this is at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus is, is beginning to preach what is undeniably the most significant sermon ever preached. And he begins with what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. He begins this, this really a progression. He's not talking about a bunch of different kinds of people. He's talking about one person. As you come in greater awareness of who Jesus is, you go through this progression of beginning with a poorness in spirit uh, to, to being one who mourns and grieves well sin and its consequences in our life and our world to being a person who is humble, a, a person who is merciful. And he gets to this one in verse 9. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. As I've thought about all the different ways that I get to minister, that I get to really dream of different ministry opportunities and, and, and make them happen, the one thing that has absolutely gripped my heart and has defined the way in which I go to work every day is, Lord, let me be a peacemaker in the state capital of Oklahoma today. And I want to give just three quick stories, three, three quick examples of how, of why. Um, in 2017, so now I've got to go, I mean, a lot's happened since then. But so go back 2017, we were in, I think, the third or fourth year of, of billion-dollar budget deficits, if you remember that. And that year, that legislative session was marked by significant um, uh, gridlock over how to handle the budget crisis and the budget deficit. And uh, we bought a house about six blocks south of the Capitol. So we're right there. That's where we live. And, and so we're having dinner, and I'm watching the live stream. They were, uh, the House of Representatives were on the floor um, at this point, 7 o'clock at night. They'd been on the floor since, since uh, 1.30 in the afternoon. They'd been in the building since before the sun came up, uh, trying to have meetings and trying to put forward a plan. And we're having dinner, and I get a text from one of the representatives. And he says, brother, pray for us, because this is not going well. And so we finished dinner, put our girls down. I grabbed my Bible, ran back up to the Capitol. And at this point, it's about 1030 at night. And I'm just sitting in the gallery. I'm the only one up there. All of our reps are down on the floor. And I just sat up in the gallery reading Psalms and just being present with them. And, you know, as, as that night wore on, different members would come up and sit with me in the gallery and we'd talk. And, and, and I just tried to be a, a presence that was peaceful because it was not peaceful on the floor. And ultimately, that night, the measure failed. And so I went down to the, to the, uh, to the lobby, and as they were streaming off the floor, they were discouraged and, you know, I mean, they had worked so hard to try to get this plan through and... Some were over in a corner trying to think through, okay, what, what's the next plan going to look like? Some were just ready to, to get out. They never saw the sun that day. They'd been in the building all day. And I just shook hands and said, thank you for serving. Because First Timothy says, pray for our leaders doing what? 
making intercessions on their behalf, and giving thanks for them. The Bible in Romans 13 calls governmental leaders servants of God. The the government is not the same thing as the church, but the Bible nonetheless calls them servants of God. And so I pray for them and I simply try to encourage them and be a person of peace in their midst. Um, Last year, you might have remembered a little event in our state called a teacher walkout. Anybody remember that? Um, I am... I'm getting these stories out of order, um, uh, but I'm, I'm doing it intentionally this way. Uh, I had just been named chaplain like the week before the teacher walkout, and I was so thankful because that's the only way I got in the building was for a sh- sheriff to come out and walk me in. Otherwise, I never would have got in the building. Um, that walkout was an incredible thing to witness uh, from the front row. Uh, and I actually wrote an op-ed that ran in the Oklahoman, uh, just from my vantage point, my perspective. And, and actually, it's a great testimony to the power of representative democracy. Because wherever there were groups of people, um, there, was, um, there was a lot of, of uh, energy. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of kind of... Uh, speaking at each other, but I, I got to watch time and time again that somebody would step out of the crowd and step into a member's office and have a one-on-one conversation. And whenever that happened, you heard clear communication, you heard uh, civility, you heard care. It happened time and time again. It was, it was so compelling to see to see what the difference, but there was just an incredible amount of tension in that building for two weeks, and and I'm, I'm I mean there was and rightfully so, uh, I mean the policies that are debated and discussed uh, are significant and important and they matter, and they matter to God, so so the policies are important, no question. There was a lot of tension. And there are members and there are staff who've worked in that building for 20 years that will tell you that was the hardest two weeks that they've ever experienced, just the level of tension. And one of the things that I would do during that teacher walkout is, as all the commotion in every hall and the different rooms, whenever a a member's office would kind of clear out, I would just step in and shut the door. And I'd look at the legislative aide who's sitting in kind of that front office, and she's just looking at me, eyes like this, and I would simply say, peace. And they, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I did that. And to say anything else, it usually ended with a hug, but just to have a moment to just, just to speak peace and have a moment of quiet. That's, that, that is a presence that the people of God get to bring to every arena of life because we have the Spirit of God in us who calls us blessed when we are peacemakers. I, there are so many different things that we can do to, to um, demonstrate the love of God. There are so many different ways that we can express our identity as Christians. There are so many things that we as the church can do, will do, should do. There are many things that we, 
we should do that we won't do. But the one characteristic, as I read the Sermon on the Mount, as I read Jesus teaching this most penultimate message of what it is to be a a, a child in the kingdom of God, I hear Jesus say the one characteristic that will most identify you as a child of God is to be a peacemaker. That's the one thing that's undeniable. If you will walk into a boardroom, into a work team, into a classroom, into a disagreement among friends, a disagreement among family, and and minister peace, that's one of the most Christ-like things you can do. Ours is the ministry of reconciliation, after all. Last story I'll tell you, and then I'll wrap up, is uh, last year there was also a controversy that erupted around the official chaplain program in the house. I don't know, is anybody familiar with that? Anybody remember that happening? A, a, A representative had sponsored, the way the chaplain program used to work is as representatives could sponsor uh, clergy from their districts uh, to come in and give the opening invocation of the legislative day. And quite frankly, uh, a lot of times the pastor would be driving in from four hours away and would have a flat tire or just decide it's too cold and I'm not coming. Or I mean, that, that happened more often than you'd think. And, and I made myself available to the house and said, look, I'm here. If ever you need somebody, I'll do it. And so I, I prayed a number of times in that role, just simply as a service to the house. Um, so I've kind of become a known entity in the house. Uh, well, a member had sponsored a, a Muslim imam to give the prayer. And, and it, it, it was not received well, and a controversy erupted over whether or not they would permit a Muslim imam to, to offer the invocation. Uh, now i got to go back. How does, how does God work in our lives? I go back seven years ago. Um, I, am a, I am a pastor at a church in, in Washington, D.C., and I'm leading a mission trip to Turkey. And it's one of the first experiences that I have to hear call to prayer. And I've been to Turkey, and I've been to the Middle East, and I've been to Eastern Europe numerous times. And I've heard call to prayer dozens of times. Uh, and, and I was in my first session uh, here at the Oklahoma Capitol. One day I was walking around a hall and I hear call to prayer. And I'm thinking, what on earth? Uh, where, where is that coming from? And it was Muslim Day at the Capitol. And I walked in there and I saw they had a little service and they did call to prayer. And I walked around and just met people and shook hands and, and just just started to connect with people and talk to people. And, and some of the representatives uh, saw me doing that. And that began the process of building a relationship with, with some of those members. Fast forward a year later, this controversy erupts. And because I have established a strong relationship with members in both parties, on all sides of the issues, regardless of the policy, uh, when that specific controversy erupted, the speaker asked if I would serve as the chaplain from then on out for the rest of the session. And because of the relationship that I was able to build over time, going back to that first session with those representatives on both sides of this controversy, 
And I never weighed in on which side was right or wrong or who was doing what was good. I simply built a relationship with the members on both sides. I am so grateful because the Lord used me and I was able to be used of him to be a peacemaker. Uh, my wife is a communications person. She, her, she's a savant at media relations and crisis communications. And probably my favorite story of all of that was when an AP reporter was trying to like gin up a, a story over all of that. And he goes to the rep who uh, in particular was um, on, the, on the other side of that controversy. And he said, well, what do you think about this guy that the speaker's going to appoint to serve as chaplain? And the representative said, Oh, I love Joel. He's a great guy. He'll do a great job. If you know how a reporter thinks, there goes the controversy, there goes my story. And it came to an end. Oh, that was the best part of all of it. It just killed the story. Um, no, it was a moment to be able to be a peacemaker. And I was honored. And, and, I, and I told the members on both sides, I am simply here to pray. I, I, hate, I hated that prayer had become a point of controversy in our house. And so my prayer to God was, if this happens, Lord, restore the power and primacy of prayer to that moment. And, and that's, I believe that's, that's part of what God did. And it was by being a peacemaker. Um, as, you, as you think about where you live and work, the places that you have the opportunity to influence and affect uh, uh, people, I, I, I just challenge you to remember what the gospel is and what the gospel does. The, it is the very power of God unto salvation for all who would believe, Paul writes. You know, one of the greatest contrasts between politics and the gospel is this. In politics, there's always tomorrow. There's always another election. Didn't, I mean, didn't you know that last November was the single most significant, important election of our lifetimes? Guess what? The next one is going to be as well. I mean, there's always another one. There's always another election. There's always another day. There's always another legislative session. There's always tomorrow in politics. In the gospel, Jesus said it is finished. He's, he's done it. He's, he's seated at the right hand of the Father now, sovereign. No matter what our government does, he's sovereign. And the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And it redeems and it restores and it reconciles. I, I tell members this all the time. I prayed it today. Politics is the tools of compromise and consensus, of legislating and leading a path forward for all people to flourish and thrive. The gospel is the tools of reconciliation and lasting peace. And as Christians, we can avail ourselves of both. We can pray fervently with intercession and thanksgiving for the gospel to, to reconcile our leaders first to God, then to each other, and we can pray that the gospel would then redeem the work that they do. And, and that's, that's what I get to see happen all the time. Um, 
you know, sometimes our government will pass laws that absolutely honor God, and we can rejoice when it happens. And our government is going to pass laws that are absolutely in conflict with the Bible and with God's heart and law. And in either case, God is sovereign. It is finished. This whole human story has a destiny. And it's found in Revelation chapter 4. Where people from every tribe and tongue gathered around the throne. So that we may lead lives of quiet godliness. Because it pleases God. Our Savior who wants all people to be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. I hope that's encouraging to you. I hope that's um, challenging to you. Uh, I hope that it, it uh, will invite you, most of all, to join us in praying for our leaders. Can you imagine the difference uh, in the state of Oklahoma if, if the people of prayer across our state rallied together to pray this way for our leaders? What might God do? Just imagine it. So, amen. All right. We don't have a, uh, a cool stool for you to sit on to answer questions, but uh, we, we do want to have an opportunity. I have some questions, but I get asked Joel questions at other times. So uh, you have questions, things you would like to, uh, to ask and talk about. Food. No, um, we. Um, it, it is exciting. I mean, I, the. I mean, it's the the largest freshman class since statehood. You know, we've never had this many freshman uh, legislators, um, and that brings a real new dynamic. You know, I've been there for two years now, and and it is a very different atmosphere. Um, you know, the the these members devotion groups are are going to be key and uh you know I, they're not the only thing we do i mean there there are regular opportunities i i share this with owen that you know so much of you know marketplace ministry or doing or doing ministry in the workplace it's not it's not just you know witnessing to lost people we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us and we should be ready to share a testimony to a person who is lost but a lot of it is finding the other believers in that place and, and then together becoming the, you know, manifesting the body of Christ in that place. And, and I like to say when, when that happens uh, in a capital or in an office or an office park or in an industry, you create a center mass. And when you create that center mass, there's a gravitational pull. And so uh, there are a lot of faithful, sincere believers that are in that building, both elected and serving as staff. And there are a number of different ways that, that they have been connecting and encouraging one another. Um, but these member-only groups, uh, I really do I pray for those because I really am excited about them. It's one of the best-kept secrets in D.C. Uh, you would be shocked to know the legislators in Washington, D.C., 
who are diametrically opposed to one another that are best friends. And nobody knows this because they wouldn't get reelected if, if they knew it. But, but people that are really diametrically opposed that love each other because they're in a Bible study like this together. And it's completely theirs. It's, it's a members-only study where, where they have that kind of, uh, of um, I mean, privacy and also uh, openness together. Because, you know, no one can really fully sympathize with the stress and challenges facing an elected leader in a legislative session other than other elected leaders. So I can, I can bring a presence of peace, I can bring a pastoral presence, but it, what I love to see happen is connecting them together as believers, and if they really find that, that that's what they'll tell you sustaining. Members of the Senate will tell you that the, the Wednesday morning Senate Bible study is the one thing they'll miss from their time in the Capitol. Um, and I mean, I'm quoting senators that have said that. So that's one of the best, best ways to do it, um, to connect with believers. And, and then obviously they're not all believers. And so um, uh, really just trying to bring that, that integrity. I'm unashamedly motivated by the gospel and seeing Christ honored. And I'd love to see non-believers come to faith while I'm up there. Um, but, but those who are not believers, there's integrity in the ministry that they know at the end of the day, you know, I'm not out for their salvation. I'm there, I'm there to encourage them. And I believe that encouragement comes through the presence of God, but I'm there to, to help shape a culture where, where they're encouraged. Um, and it's been received well there, you know, as well. So, um, I, those kinds of things are the best thing. Uh, and so pray for leaders to find those and to connect with those. And if you know a freshman legislator, uh, make sure that they meet me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got the little pictorial directory, and, like, I'm just every night studying it, trying to figure out who everybody is. But, um, you know, I, obviously I get a lot of visibility in the house, but uh, I, I want to connect them into those groups. That's one of the best ways. I've been offered an office multiple times, uh, and I always say no. And the reason is that my ministry is independent. You know, I'm not, it's kind of weird because I am serving as the chaplain, but that's really more or less a volunteer thing. I'm an independent ministry, and actually not having an office is very helpful because it creates that separation. Um, and if I had an office, I'd just camp out and wouldn't talk to anybody anyway. So I, you know, so I, I it forces me to roam the building, and I can always, I mean, I can I can use any members. They they let me use their offices all the time, uh, and so and a lot of that relational ministry happens in their office anyway. Um, but when I became chaplain, I got access to the gym, so that was great. So I do I do use the gym. So. Yeah, taxpayer dollars at work. That's great. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, it, it's a, a ministry we raise support. Um, I was very blessed that when I came into it, there was, uh, you know, the national organization kind of came in and plowed the field a little bit, and there were some significant Christian business leaders and former legislators that kind of caught the vision. And so there was kind of a pool of support, uh, that, which was good because it allowed me to just focus on planting and launching a ministry. Um, but, it, you know, I, I raise support. I work with... Um, I work with uh, a lot of um, Christian business businesses, 
Um, and, and also, you know, I, I, I'm getting to do some cool things um, with the new governor and creating some opportunities that, that can actually invite people that don't normally give to Christian ministry, like governments of, government affairs offices and different industries that want to support the kind of work that we do, but they don't normally give to faith-based entities. So we're, we're, we're trying to create some new, new avenues to do that. And so, but it's, I, I raise support and I love to partner with churches. You know, I, I believe very firmly that the biblical model is for the people of God to, to give uh, joyfully and sacrificially to the church and for churches to partner in gospel, uh, partner well in gospel partnerships. And so I love partnering with churches. Um, well, it's the, that's the other side of, you know, the statement about politics. There's always tomorrow. So, I mean, there, you know, I, there, we don't know what the future will hold, but we need not fear any future where God is seated on the throne. Um, you know, the, the, I, I will say, if I do this ministry long enough that I'm ever sitting on a panel with a stool uh, at a missions conference somewhere talking about this kind of a, a, a ministry, the separation of church and state and religious liberty is probably one of the most misunderstood um, f- foundational, you know, tenets of our of our society. Very misunderstood, and uh, you know, the the framers. Um, interesting story. The church I was at, First Alexandria, founded by Jeremiah Moore, thrown in prison by the uh, by the by the Anglicans, represented by. Um, uh, Patrick Henry uh, wrote letters back and forth with his buddy Thomas Jefferson, and so our church was intimately involved in the the separation of church and state in that language. So uh, Thomas Jefferson gave to our first building campaign. Um, he didn't give to any charity ever in his life, but he gave to First Alexandria's building campaign. We think the check bounced, but um, um, I would say it's very misunderstood. And our religious liberty was never intended. Uh, for the the religious conviction of an individual to be checked at the door when you walk into the the marketplace, um, you know, soul freedom, the ability to believe as uh, you are led to believe, uh, is a is a it's a foundational distinctive of our Baptist heritage, and 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 we bring all of ourselves, including our faith into the marketplace, and that's okay. Um, you know, the, the questions and the problems are, are, when, are when laws are debated, discussed, or passed that, that are in conflict with the Establishment Clause. That's, it, it, I mean, and there is a legitimate, you know, thing that you have to worry about when it comes to that. You, you government cannot promote a religion and it cannot restrict a religion. But as an individual, we are free to bring our faith in, into, into public life, you know, and, 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 you know, that's what religious liberty means. Um, and I would say there's just a lot of confusion about that and misunderstanding. And so I had a little pushback when I first started, but nothing, nothing as of yet significant. Wait, 
to sneak in the Baptist distinction. I know, yeah, yeah. I learned, I learned that at Baylor. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what else? Any resources for understanding politics and faith that you... Oh, yeah, well... Well, so... Um, yeah, absolutely. Pray one Tim two. This this is one of the best tools you will find out there that will equip you to pray biblically for your leaders. It's connected to uh, Legistorm, which tracks current legislators. It basically works like an e newsletter, and and it's not from me. It's auto generated and connected to this this uh, this uh, site that that calls all this. But it will deliver in your email inbox um, representatives, senators, both state level and, and national level, with biblical, uh, uh, biblical examples and, and, and ways to pray biblically for leaders. So that's a great equipping tool. I would say one of the things to do when you think about faith and politics is, 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 is start discipling yourself towards praying biblically for leaders. Uh, and that's a great tool. And I always say, if you're if you're social media savvy, you know, politics is a game played on Twitter, um, as evident by our president. It, it is a it is game played on Twitter, and and a lot of a lot of our members will have their Twitter handles right there in that email. You'll see their you know, thumbnail picture with scripture, and if you pray for them, hit that and tweet at them, and just say, "Hey, representative, I want you know I prayed Ephesians three for you today. Have a great day." I mean, you should still write a letter about a, something that's of concern to you. You should still call your representative. You should still do that, sure. But imagine what would happen if our legislators were receiving dozens and dozens and dozens of messages like that. It would, it, I mean, we can't, I mean, can't even imagine what God would do. Um, and so that's a great way to, to start. When you talk about, like, understanding the relationship between faith and politics, uh, Bruce Ashford at Southeastern. This is kind of his whole world, and he actually just wrote a, a, a book called Letters to an American Christian, I think. Um, and and he's, he's a, one of the deans at Southeastern, and he has a whole center on kind of, the, they focus on these kinds of questions. So Bruce Ashford is a great resource. Obviously, Russell Moore with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Council uh, Commission is a great uh, resource. Um, but, but this is a tool. This is an equipping resource for you, and I really encourage you to avail yourself of it. Other questions, you guys? You want to give the uh, 90-second overview of your dissertation and the impact of... I should be calling you Dr. Harder. Now, the only people who have to call me that are my brothers. Yeah. And I, it's not a spiritual thing. Like, my mother's other sons... I have to call me that, and uh, legislators. So anyway, no, um, yeah, no. It, it actually impacts something we talked about Sunday morning. Yeah. At so uh, when I uh, when I got here, I got connected to to an organization called CBMC, which is Marketplace Ministry, and they do a lot of one-on-one -on -one discipleship, uh, and they they use an online tool called Electronic Operation Timothy. My dissertation was on e-mentoring in discipleship. So there's a lot that churches do to, to do discipleship online. Um, 
posting sermons, pushing, pushing content out. Um, version Bible is sad. You know, there's, there's some cool things that churches are doing, but what my dissertation specifically looked at is that two-way relationship, that Paul-Timothy relationship where a lot of it is happening uh, kind of facilitated through computer-mediated communication and kind of looking at how does cyber culture, which is not going away, how does cyber culture um, both support and maybe you know, degrade that discipleship relationship. And so I, I, I got to do that a nationwide study through CBMC, and, um, and it was really, really exciting. A lot, tons of implications for missions, the ability to, to disciple people on the other side of the world, but it's, it's that two-way relationship that the Bible demonstrates, calls out as the, one of the, most, the most transformative way to, to disciple. Um, well, we want to be able to pray for Joel. Did you tell about your family? Uh, I, I mentioned, the, yeah, briefly, uh, yeah. wife Donnell, uh, who uh, was on the Stitt campaign and is now uh, working uh, for the governor. And, uh, and then we have two girls, Felice and Pharaoh. So, How old are they? Felice is five and a half, and Pharaoh just turned three. So. Good deal. Joel, we, yeah. want to, we want to be able to pray for you. Thanks for sharing. God, thank you for Joel and Danielle. God, thank you for the way that they have followed your leadership to this point. Um, like so many of us, it's, it's not the path that they imagined, um, but God, they continue to trust you each step. God, thank you for the way that you are using him to minister to the freshman legislators that come in. God, these first weeks that they would find a place where they can be reminded of what's most foundational. God, that they would find a place of peace, a place of relationships that point them back toward Christ. And God, thanks for using Joel in that way. Help us as a church to know how to be engaged right where we are. Uh, that idea that we live out the gospel where we live, learn, work, and play. Uh, God, so much of what Joel has shared tonight has been perfect for that, uh, what that looks like. God, help us to continue to pray uh, and as he said, so importantly, God, that we would pray biblically. That's so convicting that sometimes our prayers can become generic or even half-hearted. But God, just praying your word, praying according to your word. God, let that guide us here uh, at Emmaus as we, as we move forward. And Father, thank you again for the gift of these partnerships in the gospel that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.